Okay, good morning everybody. Welcome back to FX. If it's your first time, welcome to FX. Um, on the previous screen, we'd encourage you to check in your visit just so we can get you information. Um, we can thank you for being here. And so please uh, take advantage of that. Um, there's the QR code. Also, on the announcement on the 24th for the council chambers, um, the council chambers are actually not in the courthouse downtown. So if you go downtown to the courthouse and wander around in there, you won't find it. It's actually on the Morton Street building across from Bubs. okay? So that building. So I know it is, but it's like everybody thinks like the main, yeah. And then people go down to the courthouse and they're like, where's it at? It's at the city building across from Bubs. So just be aware of that. So, you know, some people forget and then they're walking around and going in and asking and they're like, no, you've got to go. And then you've got to pay for parking twice because like, you already paid for the meter. Then you've got to go pay for another meter. So don't do that. Uh, we are still in our series in Ecclesiastes, when all has been heard. And we've looked at this week after week, but Solomon, for almost 12 chapters of the book, leads up to this point. He says, you know, with everything I've written, that includes the first book he wrote, Song of Solomon, the second book he wrote, Proverbs. Song of Solomon is all about passion and having passion as a young person, especially in relationships and marriage. Proverbs is about wisdom because passion doesn't work very long. It wears off. And then you realize wisdom doesn't really pay off either. You end up dead anyway. That's Ecclesiastes. And so Solomon is writing Ecclesiastes. And after 12 chapters, he comes down to the point where he says, you know, after everything has been heard, everything's been written, the conclusion of the matter is pretty simple. Fear God. And that doesn't mean be afraid of him. It means be in awe of him. And we're going to look at that today. And keep his commands. Because if you keep his commands... He says that this is for all humanity. In other words, when we don't keep God's commands, when we choose not even to know what God's commanded and just think, oh, he's fine with it, we cause devastation for humanity. And so Solomon's writing and he's saying, you know, my whole life, i have the wisest man that ever lived. And he says, this is the key to everything. Fear God, obey his commands, and tell all humanity to fear God and obey his commands. And that's been the message of the Bible since the very beginning. It hasn't changed forever and ever. Today what I want to look at is probably the thing that when we think about life is the hardest and most frustrating thing about life. And that is time to. And you'll see in this passage we're going to look at, we just listened to the birds who wrote the song to everything, turn, 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 right? That's stolen from Ecclesiastes 3. I always wonder, I've never looked on their album, I wonder if they give credit to Solomon. You know what I mean? Like, they give credit to him on there? Did they, they got intellectual property rights? Anyway, so Solomon writes all these things and he says, look, there's a time to do this, there's a time to do that. And if you're honest and I'm honest, the biggest thing that drives us nuts in our life is time. We can't stand to have someone waste our time. And yet, we will waste hours of our time on our own. We are so self-righteous to be like, how dare that person make me wait at the light, and then we'll go home and like sit around and look at TikTok videos for an hour. Like the guy didn't make you sit at the stoplight for an hour, and you're not even upset with yourself. Time is that thing that we know, and it's the only thing that once it's gone, you never get it back. You can get more money, right? You can... You maybe can hope that you can buy something you lost. 
But time and people are the things that once they're gone, you can't get them back. And it's why it's the thing that I think Solomon writes, the futility of life. He goes in, and we looked at last week, just all the things that he's depressed about. And he says, I hate life. And then he really comes to the point to say, you know, really the big issue I have is not just the futility of life and the depression and the hatred I have for it. If I'm really honest, the issue is my time. The issue is time. That's the real issue. And you know, we, we love to manipulate people's time. It, it, gives, it makes us feel important, powerful, right? When you're the boss, you get to p- tell people what to do with their time. That's what you get to do. And everybody wants to be their own boss. Why? Why does everybody want to be their own boss? Time. Because then I can decide when I... Listen, good bosses really good ones that care for people and do it right and are giving and don't just build wealth for themselves but give it away, have no time in their life. They're the most scheduled, disciplined people you will ever meet. They don't have like free time. Like it is like locked in. And even God, the thing that when you look in scripture, the thing that God did with his people that was absolutely significant was he said, you're going to have to consider time. And he gave them like calendars, the feast seasons. He told them how to tell time, how to watch for things, how to prepare yourself in the different seasons that come, the fall festivals, the spring festivals. He he did all of this and he let them know there's coming a day when you're going to have to stand before me. There's coming a time when you're going to have to decide how did I use my time and I'm going to judge that. And you know, for you and I, it's amazing. We're always trying to either speed time up or slow time down in our own heads, right? Oh, I got to get this done fast. And you're like, oh, I just want to slow things down. It's like we so want to be in control of the thing that we can't be in control of. And most of the time, we get it wrong, which is why we need God's grace forgiveness and mercy is because we just don't do well with our time and we live in a world that's constantly trying to get us on their time and not God's time it's amazing to me how many Christians don't even know about the feasts of the old testament or how God ordered time or how they point to Jesus or how beautiful they are We have literally deceived ourselves to not even know how God has expressed time throughout scripture Like, it just, it hits me so deeply as you think about this. And really, if you think about Christianity and biblical faith, true biblical faith, Old Testament, New Testament, it's all about a belief system of waiting, time, right? It's all about waiting. God says, I put you on the earth and I'm going to come again and I'm going to save you. Through the woman, after Adam and Eve sinned, I'm going to send a savior. And the rest of it is waiting. And we're still waiting for that savior to come back and make paradise again, just like everybody in the Bible was. The biblical faith is a faith of time and waiting, but doing it properly. Understanding that there are different times for different things. Now, remember Solomon. Solomon was granted all the wisdom in the world, right? He asked for wisdom. He knew he wasn't wise enough to lead, correct? Then Solomon goes on and he figures it out and God grants him wisdom, but then Solomon sins and turns his back on the Lord. Why? Because Solomon decided that 
he wanted to determine how to use his time. That one woman wasn't enough for his time. He needed more women to give his time to and energy to. And as a result, those women started to steer his time and his priorities away from God and to their desires and what they wanted, which is what the world's all about, instead of steering him to God's design and God's desires. And every one of us find ourselves in that same place. We have all, listen, we actually have more wisdom available to us than Solomon does. We have more wisdom available to us than Solomon ever did. Solomon never knew how the Savior was going to come. Solomon never knew how God was going to fix the earth and solve it. We have the Holy Scriptures in all of its wisdom that Solomon longed for. And you're going to see in this chapter that he longs for it because he ends the chapter with that longing. So here we go. Ecclesiastes 3. He says, there is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. Have you ever missed timed a laugh right like you laughed at something and after it came out you were like oh I that's I can't take that back now that's done like you're over right and they're looking at you like they want to kill you because and there's all these things that we do things at the wrong time or you act out at the wrong time it's a serious moment and you do something weird and everybody's like dude right what are you doing right like There is an occasion, there is a proper time for things, and life is supposed to show us that. Parents, the Bible, are supposed to show us how we're supposed to use our time. You realize you're supposed to work six days and rest one. We're trying in our culture to figure out how to work three and get four days off. Three twelves, four days off. And let me tell you, you don't do well when you have free time. You want to know why I know that? Because I don't either. Your free time is probably not used very wisely most of the time. You really need six days of work to keep you out of trouble. And God knew it, which is why he prescribed it. Now, does that mean clocking at the office from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day? No, no, no. Six days for all your work. That's all the stuff you got to do. Cooking meals, everything like that. There's six days to work and then a day to prioritize rest. And and again, with rest, we get it wrong, right? We think of rest as, well, it's my day of rest. It's time for me to watch football, my wife to go get me chips and some wings and enjoy my day. That is not biblical rest. That is you putting yourself in a little throne called a chair and calling yourself God. Biblical rest is was resting with God's people. Oh, and by the way, in the Old Testament, what did the priests do on the day of rest? They were making sacrifices and caring for the people. We are called as believers a priesthood of believers. The priesthood is no longer an Old Testament Levite. It is now given to those who are in Christ Jesus. So those of us who know the Lord, we don't come so we... Our day of rest is to rest in the fact that we know he is our Sabbath, to worship together and to invite others to worship and to lead them to worship God properly. That's our day of rest. And it looks different than the other days. It should. Because we're prioritizing God and his people, serving God and his people, and that's our priority. And we have gotten so far from that 
that we've come to a place in Christianity where you call yourself a Christian and the one thing that God has given you authority over is your time. And don't let anybody tell you what to do. Don't let that church, don't let that God, don't, nope. God loves you, he has a plan for your life and it's your job just to live it and figure it out. And that is not biblical. Look at what Solomon goes on to say. He says, a time to give birth and a time to die. He's using these opposites, so get ready. He says, a time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And can I just tell you, if you go through that list and you think about all those things, do you know biblically when God says we should go to war and when we should do peace? Why not? You should be getting yourself ready because God says you need to know what time it is. Do you know when it's time for you to be silent and time for you to speak, or do you struggle with that terribly? The Bible can help you, right? The Bible says even a fool is considered wise if he just keeps his mouth shut. Like the Bible's very helpful to all of these dichotomies that we struggle with. A time to plant. And if you do this wrongly, it's costly. If you pull up plants, if you plant some corn, and you go out a month after the corn sprouts and decide, I'm going to harvest it now. Harvest what? You're just, you're going to eat the leaves? They're really tough and they, they're sharp. Like, is that what, it's not time to harvest yet. But see, we always want to rush things, grow stuff faster, better. And God's like, could you just rest in the fact that I have a time and a season That there are times to laugh and there are times to mourn. We mourn, why? So that the Bible says we can be comforted with blessing. He goes through all of these things and many of these we would say, oh, there can't ever be a time for war. I mean, we're supposed to be the people of peace. I don't know if you know what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. It's going to be a war. It's not going to, should we have just let Hitler have all of Europe? Just let the tyrants run free. No big deal. No, we should stand up when we see tyranny. Now, we need to be very careful because we can then become a tyrant by calling everything that we don't like a tyrant. And saying that anything that tells me what to do with my time is a tyrant. That's a two-year-old, right? It's time for you to clean up your room. No. I mean, no, it's time. Who gave you the right? Well, I'm the parent. God put you in my house. Sorry. Like, bummer for you. And and your room needs to be clean. Go do it. See, it really boils down to this. And Solomon says, as believers, we've got to come to a place where we wrestle with these times, where we ask advice, where we try to figure things out. Because if we don't, We are going to rush things and end up in a mess or we're never going to harvest and not have anything to show for it. 
And you need help to do that. You need the Word of God, you need the Holy Spirit, and you need the body of Christ to help you walk through these things. And the reason you don't want the Bible and the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ is because you know they're going to tell you things and challenge you on the way you use your time that you don't want to be challenged. Because it's my time. It's my life. And see, Solomon in the first two chapters said, I lived for all of this, and then I figured it out. Like, there's a time to everything. Then he goes on, he says this. There's a time for everything, but in the end, what does the worker gain from his struggles? So great, I get the right timing on stuff. I time the harvest right. I wait, here's harvest time, and then a hailstorm comes and kills all my harvest. Whoop-dee-doo-dah. Boy, that was worth it. Ever been there? That's what Solomon is saying. He says, but even if we get all the timing right and we get it all right, in the end, it's still the same mess. So why are we trying to do the right timing? You ready for this? Because we actually believe that God is sovereign and has authority over creation, the world, and our lives. That's why. I am in so awe of him, and I so want to obey him that I say, God, I get that this is a struggle, and what I get to gain from this is not on this earth, it's eternal. And so I'm not looking to use my time a certain way to get a certain thing, and that's you and me. We love to manipulate our time because we're trying to get an outcome, right? And if someone wastes our time, we're mad because it's, you're taking me from my outcome, my earthly outcome I want. So I don't really care about you. I don't care if you're passed out in the seat, you know, and I need to go up to your car and ask you if you're okay and you're only on your cell phone. Okay. And so, like, no, no, no I'm just mad. There's no compassion, there's no mercy, there's no, because I shouldn't have to struggle. Things should work out the way they're supposed to work out. And Solomon is saying, they don't. But there is a time to everything. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in the New Testament, he was writing about the secret he found to his struggles. And it's a secret that our world doesn't want any part of. That everything around you is fighting what I'm getting ready to read you that Paul writes to one of his most intimate churches, the church in Philippi, and writes to his most intimate disciple, Timothy. Here's what Paul says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Oh, sorry. Next story. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know both how to live, how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In all circumstances, I've learned the secret that Solomon's looking for and can't find in these first three chapters of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need, they're those two things. There's a time for abundance, there's a time for need. I am able to do all things through him. Sorry, I won't go there. Paul says, I'm able to do all things. See, we want to do all things. I want to do it all. I want to go there, I want to do that, I want to do that, I want to see them, and I want to go there, and I want to travel there, and I want to do this and do that. And, do. and we're trying to figure out how to just cram as much of it in, and then we forget all the simple things. And Paul is saying, look, I've, list, I've figured out the contentment to be able to do all the things God wants me to do. You ready for it? Here's what he says. 
through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. Paul admits it's a struggle. It's hardship. Thank you for going through it with me in time. Thanks for not abandoning the hardship. Thank you for not leaving. Thank you for not quitting. But, but going through the hardship with me. See, that, that's what Paul learned in terms of contentment. You see, it's not all things God asked. It. See, not all things I want are what God wants. But I think they are. Because obviously if it popped in my head, it must have been the Holy Spirit. And especially if I was reading my Bible and it popped in my head, oh, that must be from God. I don't know about you, I have some crazy stuff popping in my head when I'm reading my Bible. I'm one of those people that have very intrusive thoughts that fly around, you know what I mean? And they just interrupt and like, you know, like that's just my life. I have to live that out. Sometimes I just have to write stuff down to get it out of my head. I'll just write it, okay, it's done. And then I can go back to focus. And here you have Paul saying, I've learned the secret that Solomon couldn't figure out. And the reason I've learned it is because I know who's going to give me the strength to go through this life. Look at what he tells Timothy. He's writing Timothy because he's getting ready to turn the church, all the churches, and they're coaching and they're pastoring over to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Obeying God, being godly, and being content with just being godly. Being content with just knowing that I fear the Lord and I know him and knowing that I'm obeying him right now because I'm not sinning. Like just that, he says, that is great gain. See, Solomon is trying to gain everything in the first three chapters. He's trying to gain, uh, gain all the relationships and stuff he wants. He's trying to gain some kind of inner peace that he can't find in chapter two. He's trying to gain control over his time in chapter three. And Paul's like, your problem, Solomon, is you don't see it as great gain to truly love God, surrender your life to him, obey him, and do the simple things. And he's like, Timothy, I'm telling you, this is the secret. And then look what he says. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. <laughs> no American can quote that verse. You, you can't quote that verse. You can't. You, you can't. You aren't. I can't. I want new socks. I'm just telling you. There's some certain, I, you know what I mean? I got, there's stuff I want all the time. I'm not content with the socks I have. I have lots of socks. I just not the ones I want. And so I want new socks. God's like, you have plenty of socks. I even bought new socks. I'm going to take them back. I was convicted about it. Bought them. I thought, I don't need these. I'm going to take them back. They're sitting in my closet ready to take them back. Because I bought new socks. And I thought, I really don't need these socks. I have socks. But these socks are all purpose socks, see, God. Like, these are going to work better than all my other socks. Just something as simple as socks I struggle with. And this is, this is what Paul's saying. He's like, we won't be content with just the simple. We're constantly, I got to know more. I got to do more. I got to be more. I got to be known. I got to, how about you just love the Lord and obey him and share him with others? Like do simple human 
Six-day works, one-day rest, enjoy your life, find contentment stuff. You want to know what you won't? Because even in our churches today, we're not telling people what Solomon's trying to figure out and what Paul and what Jesus discovered. We're trying to tickle people's ears so they hear what they want to hear. We're not looking at them and saying, look, I don't think you need that. Oh, and if you challenge someone on stuff they have, oh, oh, oh who are you to judge me, mister? I'm not judging you. I'm just asking you why you bought socks. Looks like you got a lot of socks. See, in our house, we have conversations like that on a regular basis, and it's really annoying. I wish you'd just leave me alone. You know, you buy your stuff, I buy my stuff, we just, we're good, right? No, we have conversations about things like socks. Because it's not our stuff. I brought nothing into the world, and I'm not going to take it with me. It's not mine. It's God's. He has authority and sovereignty over me. Because I made a deal with him to say, I give my life in trade for yours. And I have, I'm not trying to like make it up to you. I'm just so grateful for the trade. Anything you want is yours. Because I'm just so happy to know what I have for eternity. Paul goes on to say, look at this. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Sit on that for a minute. Solomon was the richest guy ever. He chased every riches you could. Riches in relationships, riches in terms of stuff, riches in terms of money, riches in terms of name and prosperity, and, and everybody knew him. Everybody wants to have their own YouTube channel and just be wealthy and get, you know, passive income. Yeah, because God says, you know, I think it's in Proverbs, best income is passive income. No, he says work six and rest one. Well, but yeah, but if you do that, you really don't know what you're doing in the world. It says right here, those who want to be rich. Now, are you trying to gain wealth so that you can give it away, so that you can be a blessing to the kingdom? Praise God. Or are you trying to get wealth because it's like, well, yeah, I... Yeah, I'm trying to do that. But in your heart, you know, no, 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 no. This is really about me because I grew up poor and I don't want to be poor anymore. We start playing these games with God and then it starts to manipulate our time because here's the deal. When you get stuff and money, do you know what it takes to keep your stuff and your money? Time. <laughs> stuff breaks. Stuff's got to be repaired. It takes a lot of time to maintain stuff. You get 700 wives, a lot more difficult to maintain 700 wives than one. There's 700 of them. Solomon goes, or Paul goes on, he says, here's the deal. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And listen, when he says the love of money, we automatically think of like the green stuff in our pocket. That's not, it's the love of wealth. It's the love of having, right? Like, it causes all kinds of evil, and craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But you, man of God, run from these things. When was the last time you ran from money? I, no. 
Do you know how many times, praise the Lord, and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying how many times that God has protected me because there was a job offer or something that paid a lot more than being a church planter, paid a lot more from the job I was doing, and I said, no. I mean, dozens of times. I get recruitment stuff all the time of churches sending me emails saying, hey, you want to come be the pastor here? Here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. Here's what's happening. Here's the community. All the time. I looked up salary the other day. I'm like, oh my goodness. Wow. Like, wow. And then I'm like, no. This is where God has me for this time, for this body. Why am I looking at all that? Oh, great, they have a big church. Oh, look, they have this. Oh, they have that. And they brag about all of it. All the recruiting I get, it never says, we're looking for a surrendered man of God who truly knows how to pour his life into people, live on little, and give a lot away. No, there's never been a job. I've never been offered. That's the way we should be recruiting pastors, but it's not. He says, look, flee from these things. And then he says, and pursue what? So if I flee from something, i got to go to something. He says, pursue righteousness. What God says is right. Godliness, becoming more like God. Faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life. Not the stuff on this earth that you were called to and have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all. And of Christ Jesus who gave. Christ Jesus, remember, is the Messiah who is Yahweh who saves. He's saying, what the whole Bible's about, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep the command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. And we're like, but God, it's my time now. Almost all of the issues, guys, tune in for a sec. Almost all the issues that I deal with on a regular basis, are people dealing with time issues. They're mad that God isn't on their time. Especially when it comes to relationships. Where is she? Where is he? God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. Doesn't he know I'm lonely? God will bring it about in his own time. You want to rush it? You do it to your own peril. You do it to your own peril. You want to just back off and say, I don't want God messing with my life. I just want to be alone and independent. I don't want anybody messing with me. You do that to your own peril. Listen, if you don't know how to bring yourself relationally to the body of Christ, you are never going to know how to bring yourself relationally to a marriage. You won't. You won't. You won't. It'll be awful. That's why God created the body. It's why he, he gives us sisters and brothers and we learn how to interact. We learn how not to look to use each other or to get from each other, but to serve one another. And then God calls us together. That's the original plan. But when we start looking to use and ooh this and ooh that and all this, be very, very careful. And you might look and you might say, well, doesn't God know how bad it is? And he does. 
And he'll bring it about in his own time. The question is, do you trust him to do it? He goes on to say this. I have seen the task that God has given people to keep them occupied. (laughs) What are the tasks that God's given you to keep you occupied, right? When I got here this morning, God gave us a bunch of tasks to keep us all occupied, very much so when we got here in this building. We got snow. Hey, look, that's going to keep us occupied in a few minutes and we have to shovel all of it and put out salt. Praise God, I've got something to keep me occupied. Go in there and there was a flood last week. That occupied us last week. Because the water heater blew and was running water everywhere. You guys didn't know. And so we shut the water off. And, but it wasn't cleaned up this week. So, we, well, we need to clean that up. So, well, that'll keep us occupied. See, God's, if you'll just walk with the Lord and just, he'll give you opportunities. He, he will give you things to show you what to do to keep you. And then he's, look what he says. He has made everything appropriate in its time. That's what Paul just said. He also has put eternity, here's the key, in the heart, in their hearts. But man cannot discover the work God has done from the beginning to end. Underline that in your Bible. See, Solomon's starting to get it. He's understanding the issue is, I don't think eternally. I don't think about eternal things. I think about earthly things. All my time is focused on earth, 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 not what about eternal difference? What about making an eternal impact? What about obeying God because I just love him and I want him to know that for eternity? Not I'm obeying him so I don't get something taken away from me or maybe he'll give me something. How about you just obey him because you're like, man, I I just want to do what I'm going to be doing forever with you, so I just want to do it now. I'm a practice. (laughs) Because if I'm going to have to obey your commands for all of eternity, I better practice now. (laughs) It's exactly what he says. He says, look, You have eternity. Every person has this desire to want to live beyond themselves. There's got to be something more. Solomon says, yeah, the world's trying to keep you occupied, and God's done all this, but the reason he's given you all this, the reason you chase all these things is so that you come to a place, look at this, where you're looking around going, I just feel like I'm just occupied all the time. Is there something more? Yeah, there is. There's a God, and there's an eternity. And he says, but man cannot discover the work God has done. You're not going to find God on your own. He's got to come to you. You want to know how I know that? The Bible. (laughs) If we could get to God, then Jesus would have never had to leave heaven to come to us. If we could get to God, God would have never had to send prophets to get us to see towards heaven. You see, we will not naturally discover the work of God in our life. And and we will not naturally think from the beginning of time to the end of eternity. We think naturally right here. Right here. So you won't discover it because you're right here. And you might go a little bit out further. Maybe like your grandkids. Maybe your grandparents. But that's it. You won't go any further. And God says, I'm trying to get you to see so much more. And one of the most frustrating things to us that God does to really test our time is he gives us always one of three answers. You know what those are? He says yes, no, and wait. God will always answer you with yes, no, or wait. We like yeses. Nos are annoying, and waits drive us bananas. Because how dare God tell us to wait? 
Doesn't he know big stuff has to happen? Doesn't he know people are perishing? Doesn't he know things got to get done? I got bills to pay. Whoa. Whoa. See, Solomon's getting it. He's starting to understand. He's wrestling with these things. This is what Jesus said. Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived. In other words, you're going to have to wait. But your time is always at hand. I love what Jesus says that. He's like, you can repent and follow God whenever you want, but it's not time for my time to come yet. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it, that its deeds are evil. See, Jesus, unlike Solomon, wasn't looking to get things in the world. He recognized all the futility of it all. So he wasn't trying to get a bigger house and a bigger temple and all this. He, he's like, the world hates me because I won't participate in their games. That's why I'm going to go to the cross and everyone's going to be like, yeah, let's kill him. <laughs> I don't like what he says. I don't like what he's proposing. Let's all agree to kill him. That's what Jesus says. He goes, they don't hate you because you as my disciples aren't there yet. You're still thinking I'm going to overthrow the Romans and give you positions of power. You haven't figured it out yet. You will when I come back to life in the resurrection, but you haven't figured it out yet. So the world doesn't truly hate you yet because you truly haven't stood up to it. And then he goes on and he says, go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to the festival yet because my time has not yet fully come. This would have been radical because for Jesus not to go to the festival and not to be on time would have been a sin. Because you have to go to the festival according to the Old Testament command so many times and so many for all the festivals of the Old Testament. The males had to go. So for him to look at his disciples and be like, yeah, it's not time yet, but you guys need to go. Oh, now there's what you make somebody mad, right? Yeah, I'm deciding I'm not going yet, but I'm requiring you to go. You're going to what? He's testing them. He goes on in Luke 2, 18, or 21, 8, says this. Then he said, watch out, you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. <laughs> Everybody wants to tell you the time is near. The time is now. You can have it now. Now, go, go, go. Jesus is like, don't follow that. Like, don't. It's beginning to end, like eternity. Don't get caught in that, he tells his disciples. He then goes on, and this is what we looked at all through Revelation and Acts. He says, so when they had come together, they asked him. that Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, and has been walking around on the earth, re-alive, for like almost 40 days. For 40 days. Like, he's been walking around. And they're still concerned about, Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it at this time? Like right now? Like we've got a time question for you. I mean, Jesus, if you could do the face palm emoji, I mean, it's got to be him. Like right there being like, oh my gosh. I've been telling you guys this for how long? Like do you not get, why? <laughs> and then he says, it's not for you to know the times of the periods the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the earth. It's like, oh yeah, 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 great. Like we're going to obey you. We're going to be your witnesses. Great, great. But when? Stop. Why are you so focused on when? Then he goes on. He says, they said. Then Jesus disappears out of sight. He's transcended into heaven. And then two angels come back and they're like, hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? Welcome to bad timing. Jesus is like, you guys get to be my witnesses to go tell people. He goes up into heaven and they're all like, well, that was weird. 
Maybe we should just wait here. He might come back. He just told you, (laughs) go, and you're still waiting. Is that not what we do all the time? Do you not look on your clock and you look and you know, I got to be there at 11.15, but if I leave by, I I can leave at 11.06 and still make it. And then what happens? The guy's at the light. He's on his phone, right? Everybody's honking. He's got his radio on. All of a sudden, he gets through the light, and the rest of traffic's back, and now you're late. And was that your fault? Oh, no. Dumb guy with the phone and the radio blaring kept me from getting here on time. No, you you pushed it to the last minute because you wanted to be in control of your time. Because that's who we are. And these disciples are no different. Jesus said, look, This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way you've seen him going into heaven. In other words, go. You'll see him. Like He'll come back. It'll be recognizable. Goes on. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's why the word of God is so important. It's why we use the word of God here at FX in our messages so much. Because I don't care if you like what I have to say. I don't care about my three points in a sermon. I want you to know the word. He goes on, he says, now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father only. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah bowed boarded the ark. In other words, everything looked great. Everything seemed like it was fine. And then all of a sudden they're like, where'd Noah go? Why'd he get on the ark? And then the rain hit. And the earth burst open with the floods. And they were like, uh-oh. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Therefore, be alert. Since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Be alert. Be alert. He goes on and says, this is why you also must be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is faithful and sensible, who then is a faithful and sensible slave whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? That slave whose master finds him working when he comes will be rewarded. So Solomon asked the question, remember, what do I get for all my struggles? How can I know if there's anything more? Paul and Jesus make it clear to Solomon that you can trust God. He goes on, he says, I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all of his efforts. I know that all God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Underline that. I mean, mark that. He says, look, I know that there's nothing better. When he says them, that them is people under the sun who don't know God. He's contrasting. The them is, I know there's nothing better for those people than they're just trying to enjoy life and get through it. But for those of us who know God, we do it and our efforts are different. And we know that God, whatever God does, if he's doing it through us, will last forever. The stuff I do is gonna be gone. And then he says, And the reason God has this tension and time and all this stuff is because there's no other way for God to get our attention and to get us to be in awe of him than by stripping all the awe that we have for the world around us away. Because we'll make anything an idol and go, ah, or ah. Like, it's what we'll do. 
And God's like, nope, I'm going to strip that away. So all you have is, is there anything more? And you know what? What's great about this is that it's a gift. He says it's the gift of God. Do you see that? It's the gift of God. You can't earn it. You can't enjoy, you can't earn enjoyment in this life by trying to work to God to get him to give you enjoyment. It doesn't work that way. You find enjoyment in the fact that God is who he says he is and he has an eternal plan. And it's a gift that he gives to you and you respond to that gift. That's what Solomon is realizing. So do you, are you in awe of him? Well, let's do a little test. I'm gonna read a bunch of scriptures real quick. Because here's the deal. Here's all the things that God says that you and I can do always and for all times. This is a short list. He says in the Bible, we can do these things always and for all time. And he loves it. And it's good. You ready? In other words, like, we can be in awe of him and do these. Okay, here we go. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Trust him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For he says, I heard you at an acceptable time and I helped you in the day of salvation. Look, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation to, to announce to people. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praying at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Rejoice. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, stings a little bit, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. My favorite verse to give people when they come to me and say, I'm trying to discern God's will in my life. I always take them to this verse every time. Here it is. Go do it. Yay. And they're always like, no, 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 no. I mean, like in this specific, do that and God will reveal the rest to you. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with all of you. But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. These are all the always and all times we can do. And if you're like me, I look at that list and I'm like, yeah, I, I fight doing all those things instead of saying, wow, I've got some free time to do these things. <laughs> Goes on, says, whatever is has already been and whatever will be already is. God repeats what is past. It just keeps going. Solomon's like, I know there's got to be an answer here. Jesus says this, don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the idolaters seek 
all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. That's why I give them that Thessalonians verse. I said, do these things, you'll figure the rest out. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We misinterpret that verse, by the way. We use that verse as an excuse for us to do whatever we want today because, well, tomorrow, whatever. That's not what that verse means. (laughs) He's saying, don't worry so much about all the stuff. Worry about honoring God and following him and ordering your life according to his ways and commands. And then the next day will take care of itself. And the next day, and the next day, and then you're going to die and wake up, and you're going to be in heaven and be like, hi, and he's going to be like, hello, and there you go. It's all taken care of. He goes on, he says this in Ecclesiastes, I observed under the sun, there is wickedness at the place of judgment, and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, since there is a time for every activity and every work. It's like, I just see that there's just, it's a mess everywhere. Exactly. That's why we need God. (laughs) That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the body of Christ. Because I can't just do righteousness on my own. I got to have help. It's a mess everywhere. And you're a mess and I'm a mess. And we meet each other's mess and bring each other to Christ. That's the point. Solomon's wrestling with that because he doesn't get the whole Jesus thing yet. He said, I said to myself, this happens concerning people. Look at this so that God may test them and they may see for themselves that they are like animals. For the fate of people and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. Welcome to our world. Welcome to Darwinism. Welcome to science. Welcome to what we say. We are trying to save the planet right now at the cost of we need to kill more humans. We were discussing this this past week. China right now has 34 million more meritable men than women right now, and they don't know how they're going to find women for these men. Why? Because China had a one-child policy for decades. You were only allowed to have one kid, and you didn't want to have a female one. You wanted to have a male one, so you killed the females. Now they're in a mess 34 million men who can't find a bride are going to need women. They aren't going to go without. It could get real messy. Because men kill over sex all the time. Why? Because they're trying to solve a problem. Well, we can't have more people. They're going to eat up the world. Did God say not to have more people? I thought God said the children are a blessing from the Lord. I thought God said be fruitful and multiply all through the Bible. Not like, well, be fruitful and multiply when you can and it's profitable and we don't kill the world. Well, the world's going to die anyway, so why don't just bring some more souls into the world because it's going to go anyway. That doesn't mean we need to be irresponsible and like pour motor oil down the storm drains that we drink. Don't do that. Okay, we need to be responsible, but when we start to take that responsibility and ignore God's commands, we're in trouble. And that's exactly what Solomon's realizing. He's like, If you don't have God, if you don't understand this, then what God is doing is he's constantly testing people to bring them to a place where they sit back, they lay their head on the pillow at night, and they say, I am no better than my dog. I'm no better than, is there any meaning? Is there any purpose? Just an animal, so I guess I'll just take what I want, do what I want. And God does that because he's trying to get them to see there's more to life than that. But there's no other way for him to get our attention than to make us become animals. 
because we won't listen any other way. He goes on, he says this. Paul says this in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, also to the Greek. For in it God's righteousness, what is right, is revealed from faith to faith. That's the whole Bible. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That means you don't know when things are going to happen. You live by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown them. That's what Solomon figured out. Paul figured it out too. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. And we have tried everything we can to take God out of everything instead of give him credit. And we have become animals. We are are just consuming. I mean, we are literally called consumers. That's our favorite word to use, consumers. And that's who we are. And we're like, yeah, I'm a consumer. No, no, I don't want to be a consumer. I want to be a giver. He goes on and he says this. Who knows if the spirit of people rises upward? And the spirit of animals goes down to the earth. I love this. Solomon comes to the place where he's wrestled with all this. There's a time. He's struggled. He's looking at God testing people. And God's trying to get people to be all. He's he's wrestling with this. Just like you do. Just like I do. Solomon is wrestling because he lives in this wealth and this prosperity. And he's like, I should be content. I should be happy. There should be peace. But I'm not. Why? And he comes to the place where he goes, who knows if the spirit of people rises upward. And the spirit of animal goes down to the earth. Um. I know someone who knows. God and his son Jesus who literally came to earth, went down into the earth, came back to life and rose upward which we read about in Acts. So Solomon, I know someone. So you you didn't yet, but I do. I know someone that literally the spirit of people is gonna die and be resurrected. It's a promise. Like I know that person. He came, he lived, he was a historical figure who was real. Like, I know him, right? It's like Elf, I know him. And Jesus doesn't smell like beef and cheese, just saying, okay? He goes on, look at this, verse 22. I have seen that there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. Look at this. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? I can't. I can't make you see what's going to happen after you die. I can tell you about it. I can show you in the word. I can point you to the person who can help you see, but I can't help you see. You've got to deal with that before God. You see, Solomon is asking these questions, and all listen, tune in. All of these questions that Solomon is asking through Ecclesiastes, the answer is in Jesus. It's in, it, it's in the Messiah. Like, that's the point. The whole book is supposed to be like, it's meaningless, it's meaningless, it's meaningless. Messiah, Savior, hero come. Like, that's the point of the book. Solomon is writing these questions. He's like, I don't know. Is this, yes, the spirit, like, we, we're literally looking, like, remember how I told you we're wiser than Solomon? We can look back to Solomon and go, Solomon, yes, I got the answer for you. Like, it's, yeah, show you, look. Like, we can answer these questions. 
And he says, who can enable him? Well, last passage. Solomon asked this question of, does the spirit rise? Is it worth all these struggles? Can I trust God with the timing? Right? Look at this. John eleven twenty one. 21. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. This is when Lazarus, they came to tell Jesus Lazarus was sick. And Jesus purposely did not respond and purposely did not go heal Lazarus. He waited on purpose when they told him he is deathly ill. And he's like, it's okay. I got things to do. What? So then Jesus, a few days later, shows up. And they've come and told him that Lazarus is dead. And Jesus wept over it. And he says, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why you let Lazarus die, your friend. I don't don't understand any of this, but I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Like, I don't understand why you didn't do this for me. Jesus looks at her and says, your brother will rise again. Answering Solomon's question, Jesus told her, Martha said, I know. Ha, this is what we do all the time. I know. I get that. He said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Ha. Jesus said to her, Oh, honey, oh, honey, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and does not believe in me and believes in me, sorry, and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe that? And she's like, no, because Lazarus believed in you and he's dead. So, meh. Like you, can, you can hear the process going on in her head, right? And then he says, but that's not what she says. Look at what she says. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the savior, the hero of the world the Son of God, who comes into the world. Solomon was wrestling to believe that God could save him. Solomon was wrestling with these questions. And Martha, the busy Martha, who was always busy with her time and mad at Mary, wasting time, looks and says, I believe. And then Jesus does the most amazing thing. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb and brings him back to life. And everybody is like, what just happened? Dude's been dead three days. We embalmed him. He's got no organs. And let me just tell you, if you're Lazarus, I would not have been happy. He wakes up in grave clothes, like a mummy, Mm-mm-mm-mm. like has to lay in there while they roll the stone away and get him out. He's thinking they're going to take it off and he's going to see heaven. They take off the, the grave clothes and he's like, it's you people. I'm still here. Like it had to be a moment for Lazarus of like, oh, I thought it was my time. Did you really have to bring me back? And then the rest of Lazarus's days, everybody's trying to kill him. The rest of his life is a struggle because now everybody wants to kill the resurrected guy. 
He's like, I had a great life. Now, and Jesus is like, well, do you trust me? Let me ask you, do you believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe he's the Messiah and the Son of God who came into the world? It was the promise of the entire Old Testament that Solomon was looking for, and it's what we get to see, and it's what we all are going to see someday. That's the biblical narrative. And if you do believe that, then it's time. It's time to get serious. It's time to be in awe of him and look to obey him, and it's time to get serious about experiencing his grace instead of his guilt. And saying, God, I have failed, and I'm going to fail tomorrow, and I'm going to fail the next day, and I'm going to say stupid things like Martha, but I'm going to keep coming back to you are the one. You're the one. I trust you. Here I am again, another day, new mercies. Here's my time. Help me. We do it every day. If you don't know Jesus, and if you've not come to that place, I pray that today would be the day that you do that. That you would surrender to him. And if you do know him, I, tell you, I pray today would be the day you start thinking more rightly about your time, that you would get into the word of God, that you would get with the people of God and you would begin to really look at your life so that you can be in awe of him, so that you can have peace and joy and so that you can be used by him to impact the world, we pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that it's time. Lord, there may be people in this room that it's time for them to finally surrender it's fine for them it's time just to say i'm done i i I surrender to you it's a one-time decision we don't have to keep asking you to be your child once we're born again once we become adopted you don't disown us but if we've never been adopted and we've just been visiting the family but we've never given you authority as our father and surrendered our rights to be in your house i pray today would be the day that the person who hasn't done that would do it And they wouldn't do it because it's something they're doing. You're drawing them and they're responding. And Jesus, you're the one that paid the price that we can even walk into the house because you've made us clean and forgiven us. And Lord, I pray that those of us who know you, just like the person who maybe surrendered and prayed that prayer to you, that we would see that for all the rest of our days, it's our job to give you our time. To say, God, it's not our time, it's yours and we surrender that we would do simple things. We would work, we would play, we would eat, we would fast. We do all the things because it's what you ask of us. And so Lord, I thank you that you are the resurrection and the life, that there is hope to these questions and these things that Solomon is struggling with. And I pray that those of us who are believers would take it to heart because it's time. Amen.